I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's the Important Nonsense Podcast. It is the end of season show, the awards gala, banquet. What do you want to call this? I don't know. Super show, whatever. Uh, joined, as always, on Wednesdays by Mr. Neil Smith. Neil, how are you doing this evening? About as good as you're going to do, given the current news cycle, which we're going to endeavor to not talk about here today. People not tune into this bit. to get some sort of escape from reality. That's what we're going to aim to provide. Mm-hmm. And it is gala, by the way. And that yeah, is what whatever. I would refer to it. I, I say gala because I'm an uncultured swine. And well, I'm you live it. You're, you're from Texas. And then we just lost half our subscribers right there. I just did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs> Bring the whole show down to a screeching halt right away. Mm-hmm. But I'm mm-hmm. no But uh, yeah, the. Uh, it's, it's the end of season. Stick to your wheelhouse. Yeah, you exactly. Gotta you got to play to your base, play to your strength. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, pretty, pretty decent. It, it's, it's hard to believe that we started the show, our first official quote unquote show of the season came all the way back in May, eight months ago when we sat down and recorded the NFL draft recap shows. Ugh, simpler times, really. We sat down, we talked mainly Dynasty with the nerd, with Dr. Dynasty, who, of course, at that time coined DC Rivera's. Shout out to Dr. Dynasty. Uh, And the man who is the straw that stirs our podcast drink, if you will, at Javanaugh87, Mr. Jack Cavanaugh. Jack, how you doing today? Oh, I am absolutely fantastic. Thank you for having me for our wrap-up soiree, as I would like to call it. Not a, par- not a party, not a gala, not a gala soiree. But anyways, it is fantastic to be back with you, and it's just been such an honor getting to stir your drink all season long. Wonderful. Uh, it could be also a uh, Minnesota Vikings party boat. Any of that. Oh. Could, could be any of it. As long as it doesn't devolve into a Buffalo Bills tailgate. Uh, that sounds a little unsanitary for me. I think I'll pass Hashtag on the, uh, party the tables. Uh, well, in addition to the voices and names you already knew this season here on Important Nonsense, we also added some new ones as well. Uh, our next guest became an instant star after making his debut on the Ranking Summit show back in May, and then he stole the show when he tried to warn us all about Rodrigo Blankenship during the staff mock draft on YouTube over the summer. He joined Jack and Jason on Fridays for the second half of the season, and we're happy to have him here with us today, Mr. At Donald McJordan, Jordan McDonald. Jordan, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, Steve. Uh, It's been a great season, you know, a season that we weren't sure was actually going to happen, but we got through 16 weeks of fun, fun for some of us. And yeah, I'm glad that some people listened to my Rodrigo Blankenship advice, and I hope it paid off for you because you know what? It's always hot rod season with the hot rod. (laughs) The greatest 16th round advice anybody has ever given out in the history of this podcast. I will say it right then. Uh, But last, but certainly not least, joining us on our five-person panel today, I don't think that it is an exaggeration to say that our last guest here may be one of the greatest hires that we have ever made for the website. You know him as the IDP guru from the Sunday recap show. 
which by the way, we still say is the smartest show in fantasy football. If you're not already listening, he is the IDP MVP of important nonsense at the real NWB. It's knee Wallace Bruce knee. How you doing this evening? Yes, yes, yes. I'm in the building and I'm good. I've got my beverage, adult beverage, and I'm not wearing pants. I'm wearing <laughs> jeans. I, I got the memo. Okay, that's fair. That's, thank you, thank you. But uh, it's been a pleasure to uh, be along this ride with you this season. Just, you know, uh, the Sunday show with Jack and Dr. Dynasty, the articles throughout the week um, on the Dynasty and IDP side of things. It's been a pleasure to be on this journey and it's it's over before I could really get a handle of things. It's just happened so quickly. I mean, who would have thought, guys, that we got to the end of a 17-week season in 2020 with all that went on this year? Yeah, that never was going to happen. We talked about in the preseason, but it did. We made it somehow. Here we are. Uh, we are going through our awards. Thank you to those of you that responded through all of our social media accounts and actually filled out and took the time to vote for us. I appreciate it. I've tallied up all those votes. So we're going to let everybody here have their vote in the categories. I will give mine. I'll give out the fan vote as well. And we will start with the least valuable player. Let's start at the bottom and work our way to the top, shall we? So the least valuable player is the draft pick from the first five rounds. I wanted to clarify like top end first five rounds who tanked your season and again we're looking for someone top half of the draft and they played at least 10 games because for example even though he was the one of one christian mccaffrey had a dominant three games it was only three games but he was dominant in those three games i'm not gonna fault him because he got hurt injuries happen to everybody it is what it is so we are going to start with mr smith neil who is your least valuable player of the 2020 NFL season? Yeah, and this gets a little a little specious the way that I that I chose to do it because of the 10 games thing. But for me, it it has to be the guy that I was one of the highest on in the preseason. I'll take my Mia culpa the one last time on my way out the door here, and it's Mark Ingram. He <laughs> drafted in the top five rounds. He absolutely cratered you for most of the season, and by the end of the year. He was a healthy scratch, so you got nothing. And I, for one, would like to apologize to everybody who followed my advice on that. It hopefully didn't totally kill you, because in reality, he was only an RB2. But for what you had to pay, for what you actually got, which was nothing, like literal nothing, that was a giant black eye to your roster. You, you took one for the team there. And so for me, it has to be Mark Ingram, who likely at this point I mean, we'll see if he can even get another job given the current craziness with the running back right. incoming class and the free agency that's about to happen here in a couple of weeks. So I'll take my L. It's got to be Mark Ingram for me. And it's just really depressing that that's the way that that movie likely ends. Yeah, Mark Ingram is an interesting one. I considered him on my list as well. He he did technically have an ADP of the sixth round. It was the second pick of the sixth round. So he's right there on the bubble. Uh, so he was kind of like in flex consideration. He was more of like your third running back off the board, RB 26 in ADP, but he finished at RB 68 to your point. So you were hoping for the upside and he kind of cratered on you there. Uh, Jack, who is your least valuable player this season? 
Well, I'd like to credit Neil first for owning his Mark Ingram take because it was bad, but not as bad as the people who were drafting Clyde Edwards Elaire at the 105. So it's undisputably CEH. Like before the season finishes, he's the RB19 overall when you remove week 17, playing in 13 to 15 games. But when you go to points per game, makes it more accurate, he's the RB22 now. And it's really bad when you move from. Uh, our, uh, when you go down in the points per game when compared to off the season, it means you're inefficient, you're a comp- compiler. It's an abject failure for those who drafted him at the 105. So disappointing for everyone there. And the worst part about him is he only topped 19 points three times this season, had another 18.4 game or a game in the season. And then the rest of the season, he didn't top 15 points, nine games where he didn't hit 15. You know why that is? It's because he is small. He's unathletic. His longest run of the year was 31 yards. His longest reception was 26. So his longest run is tied with Salvin Ahmed, or Savan Ahmed, sorry, and Zach Moss. And what do they all have in common? They're slow and they're unathletic. So CEH runs a 4-6-0 at 5'7", 207 pounds. And that's why he was a bust to begin with, a bust when you drafted him, and a bust now the least valuable player objectively. And I'm sorry for that rant. You were wrong for drafting him. Uh, that's fair. I, I can't argue really with any of that. We all, You all know how we feel about CEH at this point. Uh, let's go over to Jordan. Jordan, who was your least valuable player this year? Well, I just want to say, what a passionate rant about Clyde Edwards or Lair. <laughs> My goodness. I have to follow that up? Sorry. Anyway, uh, yeah. so... Oh, it's okay. Hold on, Jordan, before you get into it, I haven't heard anyone speak that passionately about anything since I had my fat friend explain Buco de Beppo to me. Like, my God, that was like so detailed and so on the nose. Jack, kudos to you. That was, but there's no question. It goes really back to the preseason. I, it, we, I was this passionate in the preseason about C- Jonathan Taylor over CEH, and I'm still angry about it, and I'm victory lapping now. So, yes, thank you, Neil, for recognizing my passion. Anyways, there's a few players I could have gone here, but I went with one that was close, near and dear to my heart in the opposite way, was Todd Gurley. And Todd Gurley, yes, the start of the season was was pretty good, but as we always said, he was buoyed by touchdown, very touchdown dependent. They bring him out on the goal line, he, he would just bring it in. I don't think they really trusted the other guys, I guess. And then after the bye week, my goodness, he didn't have a score, a weekly score over eight. It was three, 3.9. He missed the, the Vegas game, 3, 5.1, 3.4. And then he had an 8 in Week 16. So if you were playing Todd Gurley in the finals and he got you an 8 and you won, congratulations. I don't even know what to say. That, that's, that's incredible. And, you know, he wasn't really a factor in the passing game. He had five targets in a game twice, and that was in the first five weeks. And everything else was just minimal. So, and Todd Gurley, you probably spent a late second, early third on him. He probably your RB2 and sometimes an RB1, that's not really good. That doesn't get you into the playoffs if, if you're playing a guy like that every week. You know, you might have tallied off a few wins at the beginning of the season, but towards the end, he really didn't do anything. So yeah, Todd Gurley is my least valuable player this year. And it's hard to argue with that. He was also in my honorable mention category. Look, Neil, you know, I fought it all spring. I wanted so badly to have Todd Gurley not be in my top 10. And I just, I couldn't project it any other way because they refused to add another running back. And I landed with him in my top 10 and it looked like he was going to be primed to be a workhorse. But I mean, he was RB 15 in the ADP. He finished the year at RB 30. 
And the fact that my reaction to that was, wow, Todd Gurley got all the way up to 30. It just tells you everything you need to know about Todd Gurley's season this year. So yeah, definitely, definitely in consideration for sure. Uh, knee, who do you got? All right, fellas. So my guy has already been mentioned. So here, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to touch on that person and then I'm going to give a little bit more source to my honorable mention. So here we go. My least valuable player for this season was Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yes. The guy that Jack just popped on before. Double I'm down. piling on. I'm jumping on him. I don't care because Kansas City spent a first round draft pick on this guy. And we, so I saw people spending first round draft picks in their own fantasy drafts. And this guy delivered, what, 800 yards rushing, four touchdowns, a couple hundred yards receiving, and a touchdown over 14 games. We deserve better. But next up, Miles Sanders. i got to talk about Miles Sanders, man. I was high on this guy when he got drafted last year. He was, had so much promise going into this season. He was a second or third round draft pick in re- redraft. And what did he give? He gave a touch more than our friend Edward Soleil. He delivered 867 yards on the year. Six touchdowns, 197 yards receiving with over 28 catches, and four fumbles, just for good measure. I will say that he turned up in the playoffs, which is helpful, but if you had Miles Sanders, you probably didn't get to playoffs anyway. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I think that Miles Sanders was one of the guys being super overdrafted in the first round, uh, so definitely in consideration. He did have injury issues of his own, but that offense was atrocious. So we already mentioned Todd Gurley I had as one. The general public was all over the place. Uh, there were a bunch of different options out there. Uh, our guy Mason uh, from our sports betting team had Zach Ertz in consideration for least valuable player. He was ADP tight end three. He was 24th in tight end points per game, not overall, points per game at the end of the season. Um, he, he talked about how we got that right basically that he was kind of in purgatory. We didn't know if he'd shoot up or shoot down and it was way, way down this year. And then Matt Mercier from our dynasty team also threw in Tyler Lockett. He had the hot start that pressured you to start him every single week, but was a liability over the back half of the season. He had that huge 53 point performance against Arizona in week seven. And from that point on weeks eight through 16, Tyler Lockett had 10.1 points per game, which was wide receiver 52. So Tyler Lockett cratered the entire back half of the season. Other honorable mention I had, Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think he was the ADP round two. He was the number two overall quarterback going off the board. Week 12, he went on COVID IR. And over the last four weeks, he finished as the QB two with 28.29 points per game. But that seemed to have people forgetting that from weeks two through 11, the vast majority of the fantasy regular season, he was QB 11 with an average of 19.55 points per game and barely startable over guys like Garner Minshew, who you picked up off waivers. But my vote, we, we should all know my vote. And, and you all know that I was told that he's back. I was called an idiot for not having him in the top 12. Well, let's forget about the top 12. Because in 11 games played, this third round ADP running back had zero weeks inside the top 20. Not a single game. He had only two games in the top 24. 
when he finished 21st and 24th. Good for him. And as the cherry on top, not only did he tank his own season, but he signed in Kansas City and tanked CEH's season as well. Le'Veon Bell is the least valuable player <laughs> of the 2020 season. Got, gotta be for me. Gotta be. Love it. Yeah, preach. Preach! It's just, I cannot think of another time when any one individual, other than a quarterback, has tanked two different players' seasons from the top three rounds. It's amazing. What a statistic. Good for you. All right, let's go to Rookie of the Year. So Rookie of the Year, because of their unknown talent and value, rookies can generally be scooped up in drafts or off waivers for basically pennies on the dollar. Fantasy Rookie of the Year is the first-year player who outperformed the early expectations from the public, from analysts, from everybody, and they excelled all season long to help your fantasy team. So let's start with Jack this time around. Jack, who is your Rookie of the Year for the 2020 season? So for me, it is going to have to be Justin Jefferson, and it's because of the way they finished. So shout out to Justin Herbert, honorable mention there. But when it counted the most, he had a 6.4 in the final week of the season, and he had another dud in the semifinals as well. Whereas Justin Jefferson finishes as the wide receiver eight on the season, two spots ahead of his teammate, Adam Thielen. Despite Thielen having double the touchdowns, he topped 100 yards receiving six times during the fantasy regular season. He topped 20 fantasy points five times. He topped 30 points twice. And down the stretch, he gave us a 26.0, a 27.3. He did unfortunately give us a 9.9 in the opening round of the playoffs, but then an 18.4 in the semis and then a solid 14.5 in the final. So just... The ascendance and the steady stream at the end puts Justin Jefferson as my rookie of the year. Because we're not counting some of the guys that we're going to get to later who win better awards. Right, right exactly. Uh, I like it. I'm in agreement with it. I will talk more on that later. Jordan, who is your rookie of the year? So I also have Justin Jefferson as mine Ooh. just because of just the <laughs> magnificent season he had. He ended in the I think wide receiver eight based on the 16 weeks. Let me just check, double check that. So he yeah, was he... wide receiver nine in points per game for the first 16 weeks uh, because I'm including Will Fuller in that. Oh, okay, okay. But anyways, top 10 for a rookie who was drafted towards the end of the, the draft, most drafts. I think that's pretty good. But I have an honorable mention for you guys. And I almost picked him over, but I didn't because I didn't want my credibility to be shot. But I think I'm going to say it. Rodrigo Blankenship. I mean, this guy <laughs> he came in and love it. Nobody, nobody gave him a shot. Everybody was on the Chase McLaughlin train. I know that you, Steve and Neil were both Steve McLaughlin fans. Probably still are, and I can't blame him. He's a good kicker. But Rodrigo Blankenship came Free in. Chase McLaughlin. Free him. He had, he had big shoes to fill. Adam Vinatieri was there. He's gone. But this guy comes in and he he ends up as the. Fifth best kicker, and I know that Tyler Bass is third, but we won't talk about that. But still, Rodrigo Blankenship, honorable mention, and I'm glad that he is in Indianapolis. And he loves his Lego sets, and that's something that we can all cherish. This may be the first time in the history of this show that we've talked about kickers for more than a minute uh, consecutively. So th th this is really interesting. We're in our uncharted waters here, and I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, knee, guide us back to familiar territory, please. Who's your rookie of the year? My Rookie of the Year, Steve, is Justin, but it's Justin Herbert. 
I, I do go with this guy. I know the yeah. fellas before went with Justin Jefferson, and I respect that. He's an honorable mention for me, but Justin Herbert, in his first year in the league, he's dropped 4,000 yards. And this is after week two when his teammate had a, a needle or injection go awry. So he, <laughs> he was a quarterback. By, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Quarterback accident, basically. And then he's come through with 28 touchdowns on the year, 10 interceptions. Not bad for a rookie. And then 225 rushing yards and four touchdowns. That's, we love to see it. Amazing. I love it. Neil, who you got? I also have Justin Herbert. It's funny because we have very similar lists here amongst us because Justin Jefferson was my honorable mention because of everything he's accomplished. I don't want to take anything away from what he did because he's been amazing. And especially even doing it with Minnesota to me is even more impressive when we, when you go back to our pre-draft analysis where there's only room for one guy in Minnesota and it took him six weeks to like dethrone Adam Thielen, just done. Like I'm in charge. Like that was that fast. But to me, the rise of Justin Herbert is even more impressive in a year where you were not supposed to be the starter in a year where camp is interrupted with COVID. And in a year where you probably didn't get hardly any reps in the preseason or in the, in the actual like quote unquote camp process that they actually, the abbreviated one they went through for you to show up on no notice, get tossed a helmet and go out there and amass 4,000 plus receipt or passing yards to add four rushing touchdowns, to only throw 10 interceptions and to look just so comfortable and so poised and just so just adept at moving the football down the field with no warm up. It can't be understated, especially when you're doing that for the Chargers in a year where everyone gets hurt again. Their defense is atrocious because everyone got hurt again. Keenan Allen gets beat up down the stretch. Herbert only had two bust games the entire season, and one of them was a game where he just got thrown in. It's it's really impressive, and the Chargers really look to have you know a signal caller for the future. And so I had to give it to Herbert as Rookie of the Year. Uh, all right. Well, it looks like I'm going to end up being the tiebreaker here. The general public went with James Robinson. They kind of went with James Robinson with a majority of these, but a vast 60% of the vote went to James Robinson and you, you can't understate the season he had. Look, it was a great year to be a rookie with a J name. I mean, you had James Robinson, Jonathan Taylor is another honorable mention after the back half that he had Justin Herbert that you guys have already talked about set the rookie record for passing touchdowns with 31. He finished only 38 passing yards behind Andrew Luck for the all-time rookie record in passing yards with 4,336, and he played one less game than Andrew Luck. And again, abruptly thrown in in week two, finished as a top 10 QB after being undrafted in most fantasy leagues. But my vote goes to Justin Jefferson. Uh, That's the rookie of the year for me. The nerd agreed as well. He had Jefferson uh, as his rookie of the year. Justin Jefferson, as he noted, had uh, tw- he was 25th in the final total points category and 37th in points per game. And that is among all players, that in- including quarterbacks. So impressive stats from a rookie. Not only that, he had a preseason ADP of the 10th round, wide receiver 48. He wasn't even the highest rated rookie from the wide receiver rookie class coming into the season. He set the rookie record for receiving yards that was previously held by Anquan Bolden. We discussed this earlier today in the the chat, but Jefferson became the first player since 
1992 when they started recording targets as an official stat to have fewer than 125 targets and 1,400 receiving yards. The previous record was Michael Irvin, who had 1,396. So he finishes as the wide receiver nine in points per game, and that made him the first rookie wide receiver to finish inside the top 10 since Odell Beckham did it in 2014. You can't understate enough how much he has done this year and, and the season that he had. And again, in the shadow of Thielen coming into the year with no offseason and Kirk Cousins as his quarterback. Whew, overcame so much. All right, let's go to, uh, to comeback player of the year. So the comeback player of the year is the underdog story that everybody loves. And look, this is also known as the fantasy zombie of the year. I feel like I should have classified this better as maybe the comeback fantasy player of the year because I will just tear off the Band-Aid and let you know that the general public, with 35% of the vote, voted Alex Smith as the comeback player of the year. And look, I, I understand. It's a great story. We were high on Alex Smith in the preseason, and I, I, I don't want to poo-poo anybody that may possibly have Alex Smith on this panel. However, I will say, on a points-per-game basis, Alex Smith still finished the year as QB 34. So. This is a fantasy-focused podcast here, so that's kind of the direction I was hoping to go. But again, I can't argue with it. We saw what happened to him. We saw what he had to go through to come back, and he hadn't played in two years. So kudos to him. Not the direction I would go, but let's see. Jordan, who do you have as your comeback player of the year? Oh, I'm so glad that I got to go do this first. So... Steve, I'm going to pander to you. My fantasy zombie of the year was, of course, Brandon Cooks. And I'll tell you why. Last year, he was kind of lost in the shuffle with, you know, being on the Rams with having all three of those options. He got hurt a little bit. He ended last 2019 as wide receiver 36 in PPR scoring. Or sorry, 63 in PPR scoring. And even for the first four weeks, coincidentally, which was Bill O'Brien still installed as the coach. Not a coincidence, but go on. <laughs> He was wide receiver 84 in those first four weeks. Wide receiver 84, and he was going pretty high because, you know, there was a lot of hype around him taking over DeAndre Hopkins' spot. A little bit unfair, but that's just how it was. And then since Bill O'Brien got fired and the rest of the weeks, from five weeks five to 16, Brandon Cooks was wide receiver 15. And that's tremendous value for a guy who could have been your wide receiver three or four, you know, kind of shuffling into your flex position, maybe – as an emergency, if one of your other wide receivers got hurt, gave you tremendous value down the stretch. And I know I had him in a couple leagues, and I was very grateful for it. So, yeah, I would tab him as my fantasy zombie of the year. I like it. Yeah, he was wide receiver 37 in ADP, and he finished the year as wide receiver 17 in points per game. And that's including the four terrible games to start the year. So you're, you're right. He did have a hell of a comeback there. Uh, knee, who do you have as your comeback player of the year? Well, fellas, I'm going to go with Kareem Hunt, actually, the running back Ooh. from Cleveland. I know going into the season, he, another is with Chubb, and people are thinking, mm, this guy might not get the touches, but he showed up pretty well in the end. He had 804 in total, rushing, six touchdowns, and 37 catches for 300 yards and five touchdowns. So 
he's back to his 2018 level in terms of production. Uh, obviously, 2019 was compromised with the suspension, but I think from where you drafted Kareem Hunt, you got some pretty good value from him in the end. That's interesting. I never would have thought to go that route because I'm in my head, I already have it set that like a majority of those touches came from Nick Chubb being out and hurt, but somebody's got to benefit from it. So very, I like it. I like the twist on that one. Uh, Neil, who do you have for comeback player of the year? Oh, I wish I got a guy to go first because it's Brandon Cooks. Jordan is absolutely right. The change in scenery has absolutely benefited Brandon Cooks this year with actually having competent quarterback play and actually being healthy for basically the entire year. We tried to warn you in the preseason that people were sleeping on Brandon Cooks and that he would have value for you down the stretch given his ADP, and he proved that to you. And to, Steve already mentioned it as a as a ta- as a throw in at the end there. That includes the four bad games to start the season. So if you actually were able to kind of weather that a little bit and ride it out he likely carried you into the playoffs and possibly deep into the playoffs. Uh, all right, Jack, who do you got? Comeback player of the year. So I do like the Brandon Cooks answer. That's It's a great one. However, for me, without a doubt, it is the bad man, Aaron freaking Rodgers. The man was being drafted as QB 13, but we all thought that was pretty high coming off a season where he was the QB 15 in points per game. He was the QB 4 in 2018, but he had the injury short in 2017, only played, I think, nine games. So a lot of people just weren't sure. He was super volatile, especially with the lack of weapons. And so he wakes up. He finishes as the QB4 overall, and in points per game, if we don't count Dak, slides to QB5 for counting Dak, but scores over 20 points in 12 of 15 games, with two of those other games as 18, so that's great as well. Scores multiple touchdowns in all but one game this season, and scored three or more touchdowns in 12 games as well. Just absolutely phenomenal, and did it again in Week 17 when the fantasy season was over. So congrats to the comeback player of the year for fantasy, Aaron Rodgers, and congrats to the real-life MVP, Aaron freaking Rodgers. Uh, well, Vashal will agree with you. He also had Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he wrote mo- that Rodgers had a monster season, and after two consecutive down years when he had a combined 51 passing touchdowns in 2018 and 19, he came back this year and is going to finish with close to 50. Many thought he was washed in terms of fantasy production, but he ended up winning many people their leagues. I agree with you as well. Aaron Rodgers is also oh, my vote. I, uh, thought, I thought you would vomit at the Packers level. Wow. <laughs> I, I, thanks well, for agreeing. Normally I would, but he had 48 passing touchdowns. It's the fifth most all time in the history of the NFL. He finished his QB 15 last year in a run-heavy offense and he looked like he was completely lost in the Matt LaFleur offense, and they came back in year two, clearly fixed it. They added no offensive help in free agency. They added no useful offensive help in the draft, and he comes in and finishes his QB4. It's hard to argue with the production he was able to do. Uh, Honorable mentions I have here, Miles Gaskin. Not many people thinking of him for comeback player of the year, But remember, he was a rookie last season. He got a shot near the end of the season with the Dolphins, leading the team in carries in weeks 15 and 16, then got hurt and missed their final game of the season. When Miami signed Jordan Howard and traded for Matt Breida, we all thought that this was reinforcing the idea they didn't believe in Gaskin and that he was just going to be another back-end depth guy on the team, and we were all wrong. He had an MCL injury and a brief stint on the COVID IR, which caused him to miss some time. 
But in 10 games played, he had 16.4 points per game, and that was good enough to finish as RB10 on the season. Not bad for a guy that literally no one was talking about coming into the year. And then the other one is Mr. Boomer Bust, Coolio, Robbie Anderson. Last season with the Jets, Robbie finished his wide receiver 49 with a meager 10.5 points per game. He became a free agent and signed with the Panthers, and he was going to seemingly be the second fiddle to DJ Moore. His ADP was wide receiver 49. You could get him in the 11th round, and it turned into a massive value. He finishes at wide receiver 29, which doesn't seem overly impressive, but he was one of only nine wide receivers this year with at least 12 games of 10 or more points. So he was a model of consistency, which has never happened in his career. He was also one of only 12 wide receivers with a minimum of 10 games as a flex option or better on a weekly basis. So Robbie Anderson was somebody that was consistent that you could rely on as a actual high ceiling, high floor flex in your lineup this season, which never has happened before. So kudos to Robbie for turning it around with Teddy Two Gloves, our guy. Hey, Jack, real quick, you tamp the bile down so you don't throw up onto the <laughs> microphone. It's called professionalism. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a mark of broadcasting ah, professionalism. Exactly. He's going to, he'll throw up later. Okay. It's, it's, it's going to happen, but you can't do it live on. Well, it. no, I'm holding it in now because we're about to take ah, an yeah. ad break. So, oh, yeah. Uh, Jake, we'll I'll take exactly. the break. I'll get take rid of break. it. Yep. And then we'll be right back. Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game. That's right. And there are three ways for you to play Stat Shootout, Rapid Fire, and more or less. In Stat Shootout, you put together a two or three player team that'll accumulate the most of whatever stat type you've chosen to play, like touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of the three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds the chosen goal, then you win. And the higher the target goal that you choose, the more you can win. So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee, or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry. I mean, obviously you go big or you go home. Obviously. Then there's rapid fire where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Michael Thomas or Julio Jones. Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win, but again, more risk, the higher the reward. Sure, I mean, I only need to get two out of three matchups right to win one and a half times my entry, but if I can get five out of five, I'm looking at that 15 times payout again. Can buy me a lot of Janu Smith jerseys with that money, Neil. You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Just depending on the contest, you'll be giving two to six players and their statistic targets for the game, like Cam Newton with 233 and a half passing yards against Miami. You have to decide if that player will get more or less than that target. But just like the others, more or less increases the payout the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return as well. So you can go two for two to get that basic one and a half times payout if that's what you want to play. But if you've got the nerve, you can attempt to go six for six and hit the 30 times payout. So many Janu jerseys. Well, the only thing better than winning 
money <laughs> from Monkey Knife Fight is getting money from Monkey Knife Fight for free. Oh, do love the free. Just go to Monkey Knife Fight to sign up for a free account. When you make your first deposit, use promo code NONSENSE. That's promo code NONSENSE. And Monkey Knife Fight will match your deposit up to $50. This is literally playing with house money, guys. So go to Monkey Knife Fight and use promo code NONSENSE, N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E, and get in on the action this weekend. All right, we're back. We are moving on to our next category, and it is the waiver ad of the year. In redraft and dynasty, we know that the season only begins with the draft. It doesn't end there. Championships are won through the proper team management and not just drafting alone. Waiver ad of the year is a player that you can get off of waivers to bolster your lineup for the free. So let's start with me. Me, who is your waiver ad of the year for this season? Oh, good. I'm glad I'm going first on this one, Steve, because it's James Robinson. It, this is a guy who is acquired for next to nothing. If you, if you were drafting, you got him very late, but I doubt anyone did. This is a guy you got off the waiver wire, and he was money. Money in the bank with the, the yardage, 1,000 yards rushing, multiple touchdowns each, each week to enjoy. Special mention to Justin Herbert, by the way. As mentioned before, he was thrown in in week two after Tyro Taylor went down with a weird injection. Um, but my guy is James Robinson, and I know I'm not the only one. So, yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, you're not the only one. Once again, this was another public favorite. 70% of the vote for James Robinson as the waiver ad of the year. Neil, who is your waiver ad of the year? So this is an interesting one because of how we do our actual voting, which is we try really hard to not double up. And I actually have something reserved for James Robinson a little bit later in the show, given like where you were able to get him. But by virtue of how the award actually works, yes, I agree with you. James Robinson would be the logical choice here. Uh, a shout out also to Herbert, but I already you know dubbed him Rookie of the Year. So I'm going to use this time to talk about Colby. That's what we're going to do with this. That time. is a great one. Uh, so Cole Beasley is, is going to be my, my actual nominee is going to be my actual person that I give the award to because we're trying really hard to not double up, but he goes completely undrafted. Once again, everybody hates Cole Beasley and all he was able to do was amass 82 receptions for just shy of a thousand yards. He never for the first, what was it? Six, seven games. He didn't have a game under 10 points in PPR scoring. Uh, he was just a consistency machine. He could slot in for you uh, as a flex or a wide receiver too. In certain cases, he was brilliant throughout the season. So for me, Gotta be Cole Beasley since since we're we're trying to avoid the double ups here. Uh, I love it. It's beautiful. Always any chance we get to hype up our guy Cole Beasley, got to do it. Uh, Jack, who is your waiver ad of the year? So my award would go to someone else who I have later. It's James Robinson. So we'll save for that for his future award. However, right now we're going to go with the man who is very popular in our last award, Miles. Gaskin, because there's a real chance you picked him up off of waivers more than once. So for starters, he plays in nine games, finishes with more total points than Devin Singletary does in 15. Same with Daryl Henderson. 
Fantastic. Good job for him. And that, but that's in total points. When we go to points per game, he's the RB11, 16.3 points per game. But then he breaks out against the 49ers in week three, scores 20.1. He gets a 16.6 and a 13.3. And then he sprains his MCL. So a lot of teams without IR slots end up dropping him. Comes back week 13, gives you a 14.1. Great from him. But then he misses two games on the COVID reserve. And again, people may have dropped him because... Uh, they had to if they don't have IR slots. And so he returns again and gives you a 33.9 in the fantasy championship. The RB2 behind only Alvin Kamara. And that's only because he had the record setting six TD week. So I think it has to be Gaskin because of the like just how good he's been all season when healthy honorable mention to Mike Davis because he was the ultimate handcuff this year and another honorable mention to big Bob Tunyon as well. Uh, I like it. I like all of it. Jordan, who do you got? Waiver ad of the year. So a lot of my, I guess all my honorable mentions were were said. <laughs> Already uh, honorably mentioned? Okay. Yeah, so I had James Robinson as an honorable mention because like, I will have talk about him later in the show. I also had Mike uh, Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin as honorable mentions, but mine is Justin Herbert, and I didn't use him as my rookie of the year for, because of that, I just because I didn't want to double up. I just think Herbert had a fantastic season. seemed like the only thing that holding him back was playing for the Chargers, but even that didn't really – you know, set it back too much because he still ended up in the top 10 for quarterbacks this season, which is incredible if you can get a, a top 10 quarterback off the waiver, especially early because he was in week two, like a shot to the heart from a bad or incompetent doctor on the Chargers. You know, he infused your lineup with some great production. And most people probably had Herbert going into the the, ch- the championships or maybe even the playoffs. If you had Herbert, you were definitely singing his praises and you probably could have traded the other quarterback you drafted for another piece. So I, I that's why I think Herbert was my rookie of the year or is rookie of the year. Sorry. Uh, very, so again, Herbert. Gaskin, I have his honorable mentions. We also had in our fan vote, uh, Justin Jefferson was also another one that got a lot of picks that we talked about earlier. Uh, James Robinson is going to be my vote. So spoilers for later. Uh, It's hard to argue with the value you got from Robinson finished as RB5 uh, when you could have him for free after the draft. But I will throw in an honorable mention that we have not talked about to this point. And it is Ryan Tannehill's himself, Mr. Tannehill. It still blows me away that from week seven on last season, he was the QB three behind only Drew Brees and Lamar Jackson. And yet somehow we came into this season and he was QB 19 in ADP. I I don't understand how that could possibly be the case, but yet the public seemed to believe that his production and general efficiency weren't repeatable. The public was once again wrong as they tend to be. And not only did he have another solid campaign to finish his QB nine by the end of the year, but from weeks 11 to 16, the money weeks when it matters the most, Tannehill was QB five. So definitely could be a league winner later on as well. Let's move on to the buy low of the year. Again, leagues aren't just one through the draft. You have to win them on the wire and you have to win them by properly negotiating with your league mates. So who is somebody that you could get for pennies on the dollar, who was a value and ultimately a steal that you could have because they had a slow start to the year but finished strong. So buy low of the Neil, uh, Neil, Mr. Smith, who's your buy low of the year? <laughs> buy low of the Neil. Well, it's kind of who I'm, is the buy low of the Neil? Well, the who buy low it? of the Neil is someone you just mentioned. It's Ryan Tannehill. 
I wrote him up all year. It felt like for the trade tables that we put out because he was, it's a function of where he was drafted in terms of he never dropped below the 50% ownership percentage. So I couldn't include him for waiver ad of the year. That's how he did. That's why he doesn't get that award. That's the difference there. He never actually got low enough, but the side, the side note is where he was drafted. He was so low in ADP that he was in all likelihood, somebody's QB two coming out of the draft. And maybe they cut him throughout the course of the year for waivers and things like that. But even if they didn't, he was someone you can go and get for pennies on the dollar to carry you through the championship. We started talking about that right after the DAC injury, that he would be a completely serviceable replacement, especially if you know Herbert wasn't available. And he was. So especially you kind of, you just said it, the 11, weeks 11 through 16, he was absolutely money in the bank for you and you got him for pennies on the dollar. He likely could have been the difference between you moving on or being eliminated in the playoff. Well, we got to be careful saying money in the bank all the time. We're going to get sued by Vince McMahon. That's uh, a good point. Th- let's move on to uh, Jack. Jack, who did you have for your buy low of the year? So for the buy low of the year, you know, sometimes players, especially as rookies, take time to adjust to the NFL. And because of that, the rumors of Jonathan Taylor's demise were an exaggeration. The rookie scored double-digit PPR points in five of his first six games. The Colts go on by, and then Taylor hits a three-game stretch where he scores a 5.1, a 9.4, and a 5.7. So everyone was out on him, and they weren't happy with his first couple games. He had some disappointing rushing totals in that span as well. Fantasy GMs were a little bit pissy. So maybe you made a trade for him before week 11, and if you did, he rewards you with 15.4 fantasy points. Missed the game, but then he comes back in the last week of the regular season, drops 135 yards in a touchdown, 22.5 fantasy points. Then in the quarterfinals, he goes for 165 yards and two touchdowns, a 30.5. And then in the semis, it's 95 yards and a tud, a 19.5. And then in the finals, it's 74 yards and two tugs, 19.4. So just everyone was out on him. They were calling him Trent Richardson 2.0. And then he just came back to life figured it out, and was beautiful. It was absolutely amazing. Honorable mention to Cole Beasley, though. <laughs> Wait, way to just like crowbar that in. Just, just work that in there real quick. I appreciate that. Uh, Jordan, yeah. who do you have as your pie low with the year? Well, Jack literally just took mine. I, I had Jonathan Taylor set up. I was going to sing his praises. I actually, if you guys don't notice this, probably not, but I actually have in my Twitter bio right now, Jonathan Taylor stand account, because every week, I, I tweet about Jonathan Taylor because I love him and he's great. Even during that bad stretch, I can't believe people were comparing him to Trent Richardson. That is completely egregious. Like, I know he, he's a rookie who didn't have a regular training camp like Lee Malone. And he kind of got thrown into the starting role because Marlon Mack went down. Remember Marlon Mack? Yeah, and then he had that 26-carry 101 game against the Minnesota Vikings Week 2, and it kind of tapered off there. Then it sort of looked like there were a committee. It was Neheim Hines the guy. It was Jordan Wilkins some somehow fancy relevant and then yeah down the stretch from week 11 he didn't play week 12 but week 11 and then week 13 on you know he was unreal and and jack uh, put it into words very eloquently i actually was going back and forth with him as my league winner and another player who i have as my league winner as my buy low but i decided to go john taylor here because he was incredible and if you were able to get him during his down stretch he definitely paid off for you uh knee who do you have as your buy low of the year Steve, I'm going to change tack. Jonathan Taylor had a great season down the stretch, but I'm actually going to go with Nick Chubb. Now, hear me out. Because I'm the kind of guy that when I go to the shop, 
I go to the damage goods section, so I, I will get value out of those goods. So Nick Chubb, as we know, was injured in the first half of the season. And in fantasy, I, I will go after players that are injured but due to come back later in the season. And down the stretch from weeks 12 to 16, he did not go below 13 points in um, PPR. He got you decent points in weeks 14 to 16. Nick Chubb was a, a bylaw of the year for me. Uh, that's a fantastic one. He got some votes from the fans. He also, uh, Austin Eckler was another one, had an early injury, was a good buy low. Uh, a, lot, a lot of fan votes there as well. Our guy, Derek Overby at Fantasy Derek, had Antonio Gibson, who had, remember, a slow start to the season, but second half of the year before his injury, he was on fire. So if you had Antonio Gibson for that home stretch, basically, of the fantasy regular season, he carried you through. This was a difficult one for me because I felt like there were a lot of guys we talked about on the show, especially uh, as being by low candidates that it, it could definitely be. Um, my pick is going to be Jonathan Taylor for all the, the things that you guys have mentioned already. I think the biggest issue that it was is Jordan pointed it out perfectly. Uh, his ADP was RB 21 in the third round. That, so you were expecting him to be a back-end RB2. But after Marlon Mack tore his ACL in week one, all of a sudden, the expectation jumped to fringe RB1 territory. And, I mean, he had a 9, a 19, and then the other four games were between 13 and 15 points. So he was good, but not great. And in points per game over those first six weeks at the start of the season, after he first got the job, he was RB21. He was returning the investment that you put in. So people just expected him to jump up the board with Mac gone, and that wasn't the case. For whatever reason, they come out of the week seven bye and they go to a committee approach. They're splitting carries and snaps. I feel like Taylor was dealing with something. There was some kind of injury we weren't aware of that coming out of the bye, they you know restricted the snaps he was on because by the time they got to week nine, they really started to ramp up his involvement in the offense. Week 10, they did it again. And then finally, in week 11, he was RB4 from week 11 on with 21.5 points per game. So he crushed it in the second half of the season for you if you were able to get Jonathan Taylor for cheap for whatever reason. Honorable mentions, though. David Johnson, he had the slow start caught fire in the playoffs after Duke Johnson got hurt. He was RB5 from week 11 on. So the last six games of the season, he was money for you if you'd been holding on to David Johnson all year. Uh, the one that may be one of my best shot calls ever. And it, I, I, I almost went with this over Jonathan Taylor, but it's Mike Evans. Because remember our argument in the preseason was that Tom Brady would take time to adjust to the offense, that Godwin and Evans would struggle at the start of the year, and it would be a bumpy ride, and you could probably get Mike Evans for dirt cheap. Then week seven happens, and they sign Antonio Brown, and the general consensus of the public and fantasy community was, oh, Mike Evans is dead. He was wide receiver 31 in points per game to that point, and he had six touchdowns. So he was a touchdown-dependent flex is the stigma that was thrown on him. But this was a case of the numbers not telling the whole story. Like we said, Brady was struggling. Chris Godwin had missed three of those seven games at the beginning of the year. 
And Mike Evans was dealing with double coverage playing through an ankle injury of his own. And despite all of that, he still led Tampa in targets the first seven weeks, and he led the league in red zone targets at that point. So with Brady getting adjusted, Evans getting healthy, Godwin returning to the lineup, and now Brown adding another veteran weapon for defenses to focus on, everything pointed me towards Mike Evans as an easy buy low. From that point on, from week eight for the rest of the season, Mike Evans had 18.5 points per game, was wide receiver six. In six of the eight games, he finished inside the top 24. In two of those games, he finished inside the top 10, including your championship week. So Mike Evans was a good one. And the community vote, and another honorable mention for me, uh, David Montgomery. The year that he had after a slow start last season, he was RB32 in points per game last year. Many people said he was basically done, that they were out on... David Montgomery, his ADP continued to crater in the preseason before it finally settled in at RB28. We seem to be higher on David Montgomery than most of the industry at that point. You could get him in the sixth round, which felt like nothing. He had a quiet start to the year, but by low of the year, the whole point of this category is a tale of two seasons, and David Montgomery epitomizes. Through week eight, he was RB21 with 13.2 points per game. But again, that's better than what you were investing. So I don't know why you'd be out on it or disappointed with it. David Montgomery had an okay start to the year, but not great. Missed week nine with an injury. Missed week 10 because of the Bears bye. And during those money weeks, weeks 11 to 16, he was RB1 with 25.2 points per game, nearly doubling his production from the first half. He had no games under 20 points in the last six weeks of the season, and he finished as the RB7 in PPR. Amazing comeback for him this year. All right, let's go to league winner. So the league winner, every season we end up talking about a handful of league winners. Neil and I had a whole show about league winners, and again, there are some people that kind of misunderstood. The general public went with Alvin Kamara, Yes, Alvin Kamara had a great playoff stretch. We can't argue six touchdowns in the championship game. There's no doubt about that. However, I'm not talking about guys that you already had on your team that continued to help you win games. We're talking about guys that you could pick up for nothing off of waivers and that would win you your championship even though they'd done nothing to help you get there. So who was your league winner of the year, Jack? So my league winner is actually a guy that you just raved about. And I thought about giving it to Jonathan Taylor, but it's going to be David Montgomery because he can be a buy low because everyone was out on him. But it just feels like years ago, it was week three, Tariq Cohen goes down for the year and everyone gets hyped about David Montgomery. And he absolutely falls on his face. 10.7 points against the Colts. Then he gets 18.9 against the Bucks. But then it's a bunch of kind of mad games. A 13, an 11, a 12, and then a 5.2 and a concussion. So people are very down on him at that point. Averaging 12.2 points per game. RB 26. And then, if you made the move then, you, or you're thrilled. You might be a champion. After the concussion, he topped 20 points in all five games of the season. And just to add a little bit more sauce on it, 28.2 in week 17, just for good measure. So he's the RB1 at 25.25 or 25.2 points per game in that span. But then in the playoffs, he's the RB2 behind only Alvin Kamara because, of course, he is in 
you can't have Alvin Kamara there because he was drafted in the top four. So it doesn't really count. But yeah, David Montgomery absolutely set the world on fire. And so honorable mention to Jalen Hurts at quarterback. He was a QB six over the final four games. But if you throw in the playoffs, just that, he's the QB three behind only Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. If you picked him up, you may have won a championship like I did with him on my roster. Another honorable mention goes to Logan Thomas because we pounded the table for him all year long. No one would listen. Ends up as the tight end five overall. But in the playoffs, he ends up setting the world on fire. Final four weeks of the season, 17.9 points per game. Playoffs drops to 15.6. Either way, he's the tight end three behind only Waller and Kelsey. So all these guys really elevated your roster at different positions and could be had for basically nothing. Uh, I agree with every name on that list. Jordan, do you have any more to add to it, or are you just going to put some fuel on that fire? No, putting the fuel on the fire. I had the exact same answer, David Montgomery. And I was, I was just, just like you, Jack, I was between David or Jonathan Taylor and David Montgomery for this. I ended with David Montgomery just because of how tremendous he was down the stretch. You mentioned the, the numbers. He was RB17 between weeks one and weeks 10, and that is includes the concussion game where he missed before the bye. Then week 12 on, week 12 to week 16, he was RB1. And that includes being over Elvin Kamara, including that six-touchdown game. He was incredible. There was nothing more I can say about him. He went from having one touchdown in that 10-week span in the beginning to having seven in five games, and that's including week 17. But still, he was really good. I, I was singing his praises all year in the podcast. Jack can back me up on this. I love Monty even when he was playing bad, and I'm glad that he finally – broke out and you know what i'm hoping that when they draft a new quarterback and they bring a new quarterback this year they can mesh well and monty could be a, a fantasy stud for the rest of his career uh fully agree and co-sign with all of that who was your league winner of the year Nee? Uh, i'm gonna co-sign what the lads have said initially i i had david montgomery uh, you, you can't pass what he did in those final few weeks he didn't go below 20 points as you mentioned steve from week 12 onwards and that continued into the playoffs he was dominant when you needed in the most. And Jonathan Taylor was also very good. 30 points in week 14, and then some solid weeks in week 15 and 16. Very good outcomes from two guys who you could have picked up at a lower price than drafted. But I'm going to go on a completely different tangent. So hold your horses, boys. Here we go. I know a lot of people that listen to Important Nonsense would have had a first-round buy in their leagues because they listen to Important Nonsense. So... My guy is actually Gio Bernard. Now, Gio had nice. 22 points in week 15 and 20 in week 16. This is a guy who was literally sitting on waiver wires. This is a guy, Joe Mixon wasn't coming back anytime soon. They kept saying maybe, but he really wasn't. And Samaj P. Ryan was mixing here and there. But this is Gio Bernard's backfield. And he, if you had him and you picked him up for nothing, he gave you money. I love it. I love it a lot. Neil, who do you have as your league winner? So some of them have been mentioned, so we'll do we'll do a couple honorable mentions first that haven't been. So first honorable mention would actually weirdly be Antonio Brown. And Steve, you'll need to tamp that vomit down once again as we continue to go through what Antonio Brown was able to do. Because again, the caveat here, weeks 14 to 16 available on waivers. So in that very specific niche, Antonio Brown actually moves way up the ladder because he, to Steve's point, repeatedly and loudly, he had done nothing all year and weeks 14 through 16. He likely, he likely salvaged your season with back-to-back 
touchdown, 40-yard touchdown game, and then a multi-touchdown game in your championship. Antonio Brown likely could have been a league winner for you if you were desperate. Also, in that same vein, we didn't mention Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson coming in relief in weeks 14 through 16, widely available on waivers because you can't realistically roster him uh, when Raheem Mostert is playing or Raheem Mostert, as Jack prefers to call him. Mm. Uh-huh. So when with Jeff Wilson getting the full workload, he puts up a monster game in week 16. Uh, potential league winner for you right there. So, But the one that I have to give it to, the one that I think truly fits the bill the most, because you add the level of scarcity at the position, it was mentioned briefly by Jack at the beginning. It's Logan Thomas. Because of how bad that position is, and because no one... Logan Thomas is still not even over 60% owned. That's insanity to me right off. But we wrote about Logan Thomas in the waiver column every week, all season. And specifically in weeks 14 through 16, he put up three monster games. He was double digit. He was double digits at tight end in PPR in all three. And because of how bad tight end is, and even with, unless you had one of the big two at this point that was really, you know, dishing out towards the end there with Kelsey and Waller, Logan Thomas likely won you, could have likely won you your league just based on getting anything out of the tight end spot and what was a completely vacuous t- uh, tight end class for this year. All right. That's a good one. I agree with that. Uh, Logan Thomas is on the list. Honorable mention for me. Um, the pick for the nerd and an honorable mention for me as well. JD McKissick, who we didn't talk a lot about. Uh, Antonio Gibson, of course, got hurt and McKissick took over. He went from averaging 10.1 fantasy points per game in his first 11 weeks to averaging 16.4 points per game in his last five. Uh, That is from the nerd, and I will add on to that and take it a step further from weeks 13 through 16. So the end of the regular season to get you through the playoffs, McKissick was RB5, averaging 19.3 points per game when it mattered to you the most. So someone widely available you could have for nothing, top five running back. Other honorable mention, how about the ghost of Nelson Aguilar? He had a slow start to the season, and he had the 16th most top 36 performances among wide receivers from week four on with seven. So he had seven games inside at least flex territory. But more importantly, he was one of only seven wide receivers to have at least two games in the top 12 for the fantasy playoffs. So if you had the guts to play Nelson Aguilar in your flex weeks 14 and 16, you probably won your game. But my vote, my guy, is Jalen Hurts. He took over the job from Wentz mid-game in week 13. He came in halfway through the third quarter. He was QB3 during the fantasy playoffs, averaging 25.89 points per game. It's all the stuff that we've talked about before, but what's going to be very interesting this offseason is projecting forward. Hertz entered halfway through the third quarter against Green Bay, like I mentioned, and he was benched in the fourth quarter for no apparent reason week 17. In the 16 and a half quarters that he played, he averaged essentially 6.38 points per quarter, so 25.5 points per game, and if you project that out to an entire season, that would have been QB1. So what we do with Jalen Hurts next year is going to be very interesting in fantasy football. The rushing floor is there. If you got him this year off waivers, he probably won you a league. So it, it'll be interesting to say the least. But let's move on to the last category, the one that we have all been waiting for, MVP. Who is 
that player that nearly single-handedly changed your roster's fate and carried you through the entire season. Above all else, again, most valuable. We're, we're, I'm looking for value when I evaluate this. You evaluate it however you want, but for me, it's value. So who is the MVP that you have on the season? Jordan, let's start with you. Well, it's going to be the guy that we should name the show after because I think this is going to be unanimous. Uh, I had James Robinson. Easily enough, he was virtually almost undrafted. Undra- you know, he, he started to get a little bit of buzz when Raquel Armstead was going to come back. And it seemed like James Robinson was going to be the guy. So it was a flyer at the end of most people's drafts. And wow, did it pay off for you because he ended the season in PPR scoring as RB4. RB4. That's incredible for a guy who, first of all, plays for a team that went 1-15. I just can't believe that to begin with. But yeah, he he gave you 17.9 yards, or sorry, points per game. Never had a game under 10 points in PPR. I, I was kind of iffy, though, because he didn't play week 16, which is the most vital week of your season. So if you had him, obviously you had to find somebody else. And he did have a, a little bit of a, you know, some bouts, like I know I said it was over 10, he was, did go under 10, but it was still like at 10. He had two games where he was actually at 10, but overall an incredible season for the rookie. You know, he could have swept a lot of categories on our ballots, but he's my MVP for sure. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be a popular vote here. Uh, knee, who do you have as the MVP? Well, I'm going to be different just because I can. I'm going in a slightly different direction. James Robinson is by far, in terms of, what you picked him up for and what you got in terms of production, that's the probably the biggest gain. But I've got to be different. So special mention to Calvin Ridley. That's a guy who came in as a wide receiver too and is likely going to be the top five receiver off the board in next year's draft. He had 90 catches, th- uh, 1,300 yards odd, and nine touchdowns. Nice to see. And he's seemingly taken the torch from Julio Jones in Hotlanta. But my MVP is actually a quarterback. A guy who you could have attained at mid to late round value in your fantasy drafts. And he would go on to be none other than the QB1 in fantasy. I'm talking about Kyler Murray of Arizona. He had DeAndre Hopkins join him, his running mate. I know Steve won't like to hear that, but I'm going to remind him of that trade that happened. And Kyler had, he improved across the board. He had six extra, extra touchdowns from last year to make 26 passing. He had another seven additional rushing touchdowns to go with 11 total and 800 rushing yards. That, that rushing floor was really what made him fantasy gold for us uh, this year. I like it. That's a good one. Uh, let's see. Neil, who do you have for your fantasy MVP this year? It's James Robinson. I promised we would get to it later, and here we are. You, you can't do better. And we, this is how we do it. You know, I agree with what you said when you set this up, Steve. That's how we talked about it at the, the mid-season point where we did the look-ahead show to who might be the MVP. And I said, well, based on everything we've seen so far, for me, it would have to be James Robinson because of just value-based. You can't get better than realistically what he did coming off the waiver wire, completely undrafted. If you're looking season long, he finished top seven, you know, overall at running back. I acknowledge he didn't play week 16, but he completely, the spirit of the award is who completely changed your fortunes and find getting James Robinson off waivers is like finding a briefcase full of money on the ground. In terms of fantasy, it's not going to happen again. You're going to spend your whole life trying to figure out how to do that again, and it's likely never going to happen. Um, so he has to be the MVP for me, just based on value and for what you got, for what you had to invest. That's what we're looking for for this award. But in terms of like 
traditional style MVP. We didn't talk about Alvin Kamara, and I feel like you can't not talk about Alvin Kamara. <laughs> like the season he put up, like 80 receptions, 900 rushing yards, right. six touchdowns in the playoffs. Like if we're doing it without the value-based thing, then for me, it's probably Alvin Kamara. But because value is the critical component here, it has to be James Robinson. Jack, I feel like you are going to be in agreement again here. Yeah, it, Neil put it perfectly when he said it's like finding a briefcase of a million dollars on the ground. So I there's there's nothing else to be said at this point. He's the next Arian Foster. I really hope the Jaguars do not draft a running back. So I'm going to go somewhere else, as my honorable mentions, give them a little bit more of a highlight. Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey for the sole reason that everyone in your league had a chance to draft him. They were pretty much always going in the second round. And the advantage that they gave you over the rest of their position was absolutely wild. So Kelsey averages 20.9 fantasy points per game. That's 4.1 points per game more than any other tight end. And in the playoffs, he bumps it up. He's 24.4 points per game. That's still 4.2 points per game more than any other tight end. And Devontae Adams, it's pretty much the same story for the entire season averages 26.3 fantasy points. That's 4.4 fantasy points more than any other receiver. And then in the playoffs, only Stephon Diggs outperforms him. And that's because the Bills were jerks in week 16. So we'll ignore that. But shout out to my honorable mentions for MVP, Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey. They truly gave you a boost over anyone else at their position. Yeah, once again, the public is with you guys on James Robinson. For me, the taper off at the end of the season for him is kind of what gave him the rookie of the year for me instead of the MVP. The honorable mentions that you had, uh, Jack, I'm right there with you. First of all, shout out honorable mentions to Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers for the value that they gave you uh, for for where they were drafted. Again, fantastic top five quarterbacks for basically nothing. The problem with selecting a QB is that it's so easily replaceable and you can wait on it so long. It's very difficult unless they have a, a like last season with Lamar, unless they have a generational season to separate them from the rest of the pack, it's difficult to put them on top. Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook, basically the 1A and 1B at running back. Uh, you had a, a couple of issues with them. They both had the contract disputes, remember, in the offseason, which kind of hurt their ADP at the beginning of the offseason in the early draft season. But by the time we got to August, Cook was going at RB4, Kamara was going at RB5. People were getting cute, taking players like Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, CEH, who we've talked about, taking them ahead of their rankings in the first round. Unlike everybody else taken in that same territory, these guys continue to produce. Kamara ends up with 25.2 points per game, the RB1. Cook, 24.1 points per game, the RB2. Basically, he took Cook with pick 104, and he finished at seven overall. You took Kamara 105, and he finished four overall. So th- they they gave you the value that you invested into them. Not a ton of value there, but again, they, they delivered with what you expected. Travis Kelsey, like you mentioned, he was a popular one amongst the fan vote, uh, which was actually split. It was a tie in the fan vote between Rodgers and Kamara. But uh, again, Travis Kelsey was a popular one. The internet seems to think that Kelsey was the the clear choice, and for good reason. 20.9 points per game, like you said, Jack. It would have made him running back or wide receiver three if he was registered at another position. That's insane. 
that 20.9 points per game is also the highest PPR points per game total for a tight end ever. But I feel like that says a lot more about the position than it actually says about Travis Kelsey. Coming into the year, the big three, we can all agree, were Kelsey, Kittle, and Andrews. Kittle got hurt, which you know knocked him down 15.6 points per game. Andrews had injury problems of his own, and Lamar's rough start clearly didn't help, but he had 12.2 points per game and was the tight end four. The issue that I have for Travis Kelsey being the MVP is the value aspect of it because of Darren Waller. Darren Waller, who, by the way, shout out to Darren Waller. In an entire show, when we're talking about the greatest hits of 2020, the fact that Darren Waller's been mentioned like once before this, I feel like is a Travis mockery. I think next year we'll have the Darren Waller Appreciation Award. Just a shout out to players that we feel like aren't being represented enough throughout these. But look, Waller had a fantastic season. All he did was produce. He was our tight end five in the preseason rankings. And unlike everyone else in that area, ranked six through 10, Hunter Henry finished 10th. He was the only one in ADP six through 10 at tight end that stayed in the top 15. So to say that Waller had a fantastic season is an understatement. You could get him three rounds later than Travis Kelsey. And for the entire season, finished only three points per game behind Travis Kelsey. And that seems like a lot, I know. But to put that in perspective, Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook finished further ahead of Derrick Henry, who was the RB3, than Travis Kelsey finished ahead of Darren Waller. Devontae Adams finished further ahead of Tyreek Hill than Travis Kelsey finished ahead of Darren Waller. In fact, Travis Kelsey finished eight points ahead of Andrews, who was the tight end four and was in the back of that pack with everybody else. Adams finished seven points per game ahead of Calvin Ridley, who was the wide receiver four. And you have to start at least two running backs and two wide receivers every week. So Kelsey did give you an advantage, but the advantage you had by having one of those other guys was just so much bigger. And then Devontae Adams, another honorable mention. You talked about the fact he averaged 26.3 points per game. And I feel like every year we're talking about records being broken on this show. But not only did he finish easily as the wide receiver one, he finished as the number one overall player. He became the first wide receiver to lead all of fantasy in points per game since Antonio Brown did it in 2014. His 26.3 is the most PPR points per game for any wide receiver with at least 13 games played in NFL history. He was the 16th best points per game performance by any player at any position. Again, like I said, number one wide receiver ever. He's the only wide receiver to average 26 or more points in a season. The only other wide receivers to average 25 or more points. So a full point behind him were Marvin Harrison in 2002 for the Colts. Whoa, 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 whoa. Harvin Marathon. Harvin Marison, please. Fine, Harvin Marison. We don't say his name, but you don't, you don't want that. You don't want him talking to you. Nope. It's too late. It's been done. Harvin Marison for the, the Colts in 2002. Jerry Rice for the Niners in 1995. 
and Charlie Hennigan for the Houston Oilers in 1961. That's it. That's the list. So Devontae Adams had an all-time historic year. But I circle it all back. It goes all back to value. Everyone that I have mentioned so far and that everyone that has been mentioned already has had a great statistical season, but you basically got what you paid for. James or James Robinson had a fantastic season, but there were a few weeks when he fell off and you had to fill him in. Now, again, got him off waivers for nothing. Fantastic value there. And I'm looking for value, but I don't just want value. I want consistency. And there were 17 players at wide receiver that were drafted inside the top 24 of ADP and finished there. So that left only seven wide receivers that were really kind of value picks for you to go after. 20 wide receivers had at least 10 games of 10 or more PPR points. 11 wide receivers had at least five weeks in the top 12 and four wide receivers registered at least five targets in every game that they played this year, but only one wide receiver checked the box for every one of those categories. He led all wide receivers with 14 games inside the top 36. There was only one week when he was not startable. Every other week, he was in your lineup and you could count on it. He was the only wide receiver in the league with at least six targets and 10 PPR points in every game played. And he was the wide receiver 27 that you could get in the sixth round with his ADP, but finished as the wide receiver three. My fantasy MVP for the 2020 season is Stefan Diggs. Wow. Wow. You did it. He did it. See, Jack, that's how you tamp down the bile right there. See, and he also, like, he managed to recover when he got verklempt in that poem that he wrote to Devontae Adams. Like, I noticed that he got real emotional, and he, like, started to lose it. And he, like, steered the car back on the road. You know, it's an emotional topic. It, it really is. But, wow, I can't believe you actually went through with it. You actually Look, did it. it. It's all about, like I said, the consistency and the value. You, you got him for cheap in the sixth round. Obviously, it's not the same value you get from James Robinson finishing in the top five. But Diggs was a guy who finished 15 weeks, 15 games this year with at least 10 fantasy points. That's insane. You you cannot say enough about how great of a year that is. Fun note about Diggs, he led the league in targets this year with 166. Uh, Despite the NFL being pass happier than ever, that's the fewest targets to lead the league since OJ McDuffie did it with 165 for Miami in 1998. So there you go. An OJ McDuffie reference on the final podcast of the 2020 season. You're welcome. Hold on, hold on. Because I agree with all that, but hold on a second. Because if you think you're going to invent <laughs> an award category live on the air. I just did. And, and no, 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 I meant the the Darren Waller yeah. guy. The Darren Waller Appreciation uh, yeah. Award. Yeah. Well, I was going to call it the more Zoolandery, the the Darren Waller Award for guys we didn't talk about too much. And you yes. think I don't have a guy for that. You are wrong. Because it's my honorable mention that would have been, was close to being my buy low of the year, but got edged out by Ryan Tannehill. A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, 17.7 fantasy points per game, only played 14. Finished as wide receiver six. 
in points per game, not even anywhere near where the haters like Steve were telling you to draft him via ADP. How Finishes overall is wide receiver 12. AJ Brown, AJ Brown, the man, the myth, the legend. What a season. And we just didn't get a chance to talk about him too much. So I had that in my back pocket. I had to get that in there as we wrap 2020. AJ right. Brown. Monster. I love it. I love it. Well, that that's going to be it for the award show. Neil, since you have taken the floor, how about you tell the people where they can yell at you for the next couple of months? You can tell me I'm wrong about AJ Brown on the Fantasy Life app and on Twitter, nonsense underscore Neil. Stay safe, everybody. Get ready for free agency. Looking forward to it. Since these, since Knee has gotten me much more tuned and Dr. Dynasty have gotten me actually playing Dynasty, I can't wait to join you guys and getting ready to evaluate all the rookies and getting ready for the next stage here because the season never ends. It just takes about like a month off here. So looking forward to it. Uh, Jack, any other players you would like to mention that haven't been talked about too much or uh, where the people can find you? I think I'm good for players. I hit all the guys that I wanted to talk about, but you can hit me up at Javanaugh87 on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want. And other than that, just stay safe and tune into the Important Nonsense Playoff Preview Show tomorrow starring myself, me, and Dr. Dynasty John Chansey. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Jordan? Any last notes, comments, players, anything? No, I'm just glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Donald McJordan. I'm the one that has Jonathan Taylor's stand account in his bio, just in case you need a little bit of help finding me. And I'm excited for playoffs. Let's uh, let's hope that this uh, this playoffs is uh, doesn't get ravaged by COVID, but knock on wood. Hope for the best. Yeah, don't get fooled by those Jordan McDonald fake accounts. They're everywhere. There's, there's there. a lot of them. There so, are... A lot. Uh, knee, any last comments, players you want to mention? You went through this whole show, and we got no IDP guys. I was a little surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. that's on me a little bit. I, I did focus on the offensive side of things. Um, maybe we can there's, touch there's on that nothing wrong time. with that. I mean, you focus <laughs> on IDP every week. So why you don't have to force it in here. I'm not expecting it. Yeah, I thought I'd take the night off tonight. Um, <laughs> well, well, you can catch my IDP articles on important on nonsense.com and also some Dynasty. We're doing some player profiles throughout the offseason in the lead-up to the NFL Combine and the NFL Draft for 2021. You can also find me on Instagram at TheRealNWB. And as Jack mentioned, tomorrow night I will be talking playoff football with jack himself and dr dynasty you don't want to miss that because it's going to be pro profiles of the games six of them this year in the wildcard round bets and yeah. some line advice because i know you like to put money on the line finally i just want to shout out to irv smith jr he was a low-key he was a low-key league winner in a way because he had a good score in week 14 then he kind of went back to the tight end average of like a 3 for 30 kind of week in week 15. And then week 16, 23 points. So I just had to put that one in there for Irv Smith Jr. I love it. I love Irv Smith. We all know that. Um, but again, just make sure you're following the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NonsenseFF for the latest updates. Like the guys already mentioned, make sure you're tuning into that playoff preview show. Dynasty guys will also be hard at work leading up to the draft, and then we'll be back to uh, to recap it all and start this whole cycle all over again. So make sure you're subscribing to the pod wherever you listen. If that's on Apple, make sure you're leaving us that five-star review. You can follow me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. 
Enjoy the playoffs. Enjoy the off season. I'm going to go hibernate like a bear for a couple of months until we talk again. Make sure you just keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!